This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. I'm glad you could join us today. I'm Joel Hilliker. For the past three weeks, I've been touring around on the Celtic Throne Tour. And in our final segment today, we're going to talk with some of the dancers from the show about their experiences performing and sharing this show with people all over the country. Before that, it's been 40 years since the Falklands War, perhaps the last time that Britain exerted itself as a major power in the world. In 1982, it successfully fought off Argentina as it tried to take over these islands. This is history worth remembering because it points to some important biblical prophecies, and it's a picture of just how much further Britain has descended since then. Trumpet staff writer Abraham Blondeau will bring us a report about this. In our second segment today, we'll talk about exercise. Have you ever thought, I really can't exercise because I don't have the equipment I need? Personal trainer Jorg Mardian is going to talk with us about the benefits of body weight exercises, things you can do when you don't have equipment. And this will benefit you no matter your age, no matter your fitness level. He'll give us some really practical tips on this. For the last word on today's show, I'll share with you a lesson I've learned from being a part of the Celtic Throne Tour. We'll start now by looking back 40 years to the Falklands War in this report from Abraham Blondeau. The darkness of night was pierced by the flash of gun muzzles and the sounds of war. The British 2nd Battalion of the Parachute Regiment was tasked with taking Goose Green in the Falkland Islands from Argentine occupation. This meant capturing a number of entrenched enemy positions on a ridge line. The fighting descended into hand-to-hand -hand combat. The advance stalled at the base of Darwin Hill. Commanding Officer Lieutenant Colonel Herbert H. Jones assessed the situation and realized victory hung in the balance. The London Gazette wrote in 1982, quote, it was clear to him that desperate measures were needed in order to overcome the enemy position and rekindle the attack, and that unless these measures were taken promptly, the battalion would sustain increasing casualties and the attack perhaps fail. It was time for personal leadership and action." End quote. Jones led the assault himself, brandishing a submachine gun as he charged ahead of his men. The battalion went from trench to trench in the darkness. The Argentines defended every inch of ground. Though Jones was killed in the battle, the battalion took Darwin Hill and Goose Green the next day. Jones was awarded the Victoria Cross posthumously for his bravery during the assault. The Falklands War was the last hurrah for an empire in deep decline. Ever since Britain asserted its sovereignty over the Falkland Islands in 1833, there had been contention between Britain and Argentina. In 1976, the Argentine military successfully pulled off a coup d'etat and set up a military junta. With the support of the Catholic Church, particularly the Jesuit order led by George Bergoglio, now Pope Francis, the junta secured power in the country. In 1982, Argentina invaded and occupied the islands. 
which are only 300 miles off its coast. So who do the Falkland Islands really belong to? The Bible reveals that Britain received the islands as part of a blessing from God. The late Herbert W. Armstrong explained in the United States and Britain in Prophecy that America and Britain are descendants of the biblical tribes of Israel. God unconditionally promised to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the birthright blessings of world power and wealth because of Abraham's obedience and faithfulness to God. This is why, starting around 1800, Britain suddenly rose to become a world empire and America began its ascendancy into becoming a superpower. Notice what Mr. Armstrong wrote regarding the prophetic promises of Genesis 22, verse 17. Quote, To Abraham, God said, that in blessings I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Earlier we quoted the correct Fenton translation, and your race shall possess the gates of its enemies. As explained there, the gates of enemy nations are strategic sea gates of entrance to or exit from these nations. Although all wealth comes from the ground, Prosperity and affluence on a national scale always has come by industry and commerce. And commerce between nations has been transacted almost altogether by the sea lanes of the world, by ships and within the continent by railroads. Since the birthright pertains to nations, the gate of our enemies would be such passes as Gibraltar, Suez, Singapore, the Panama Canal, etc. End quote. One of the sea gates given to Britain as a fulfillment of this prophecy was the Falkland Islands. The islands command the southern tip of South America, which remains one of only two ways of transit between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans in the Western Hemisphere. Before the Panama Canal was constructed, this was the only means of shipping between the east to the west coast of the United States. However, just as God fulfilled his promise and bestowed upon America and Britain the birthright blessings, the Bible also prophesied that these blessings would be removed for sin and replaced with curses. Ever since the end of World War II, curses have seized our nations. The gradual decline in society, power, wealth, and morality has been intensifying. Mr. Armstrong wrote, quote, Precisely as prophesied, Britain's sun has now set. As these same prophecies that foretold Britain's greatness revealed far in advance, Britain has already been reduced to a second-rate or third-rate power in the world. And the United States? Today, America finds herself heir to just about all the international problems and headaches in this post-World War II chaotic, violent world. And the United States has won her last war. Even little North Vietnam held her at bay. Many other nations sap America's national strength, and he knows it not, as God long ago foretold. End quote. One of the key prophecies about the national decline is found in Leviticus 26.19, which says God will break the pride in our power. This means we would lose the willpower and the strength of character, to use military might to defend the gifts and the blessings from God. For the British Empire, 
History clearly records that after the Suez Crisis, when Britons weakly surrendered that vital seagate, the entire empire dissolved all over the world. Due to increased social spending at home, the British military became dilapidated and barely adequate to defend the remaining overseas possessions. When Argentina invaded the Falklands, it appeared this trend would continue. If not for the leadership of Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, Britain probably would have weakly allowed the Argentine dictatorship to seize control. News first reached Britain on April 2nd that the Falklands had been seized. The island of South Georgia was captured the next day. Thatcher's instinctive response was to restore the status quo and authorize the formation of a naval task force. However, the first battle she had to fight was within her own party and in the House of Commons. The loss of the Falklands was humiliating, and it threatened to topple Thatcher's government, which was on wobbly footing in 1981 and 1982. Many factions within the Conservative Party opposed military intervention. The strongest opposition came from within Thatcher's own cabinet, with many men holding powerful positions thinking any military intervention was impossible or ludicrous. The difficulties facing the naval task force and any military intervention were extreme. Britain lay 8,000 miles away from the Falklands, and it would take several weeks of sailing to reach the theater of operations. The closest British possession, Ascension Island, is 3,300 nautical miles distant. The government was on the verge of cutting the Royal Navy by 20%, and the two aircraft carriers in the task force, the HMS Hermes and Invincible, would have been scrapped if not for the invasion. Lacking transport ships, the army had to requisition two cruise liners to transport the troops. Britain only had 48 Harrier fighters against 122 Argentine jets. The United States Navy assessed Britain's chance of recapturing the Falklands as, quote, militarily impossible, end quote. Yet Thatcher believed Britain had the right and responsibility to recapture the Falklands. It was the decision to defy the odds, defy the United States, and resist the temptation to simply capitulate that reinforced her reputation as the Iron Lady. Thatcher wrote in her memoir, Downing Street Years, Quote, when you are at war, you cannot allow the difficulties to dominate your thinking. You have to set out with an iron will to overcome them. And anyway, what was the alternative? That a common or garden dictator should rule over the queen's subjects and prevail by fraud and violence? Not while I was prime minister. End quote. This response inspired Newsweek's famous 1982 cover, The Empire Strikes Back. By the time the task force reached the Falklands, 10,000 Argentines had dug in on the island. The British forces totaled 25,000 between all three branches. Despite the dilapidated state of the British military, the British soldiers, sailors, and airmen proved more than a match for the Argentines. The pride, traditions, and leadership of the British forces overcame all difficulties. The British fought a series of tough land battles to recapture key positions on the harsh landscape of the island, with the Royal Marine Commandos famously marching on foot across the entire island. On sea, a British submarine controversially sank an Argentine destroyer outside the naval exclusion zone, with over 300 perishing. 
yet this effectively deterred the Argentine Navy from leaving harbour. In the air, the British launched Operation Black Buck 1, which was the longest air raid in history at that time. With outdated equipment and little room for air, the British pilots pulled off the nearly impossible mission of bombing Port Stanley's air base. It epitomized the fighting spirit and courage that still existed in the British forces at the time. On June 14, 1982, the British forces captured Port Stanley, the capital, and the hostilities officially ended. The war lasted 74 days costing 255 British and 650 Argentine lives. The British captured over 11,000 Argentine soldiers. Following the British victory, Thatcher gave a speech on July 3rd in which she announced, quote, What has indeed happened is that now, once again, Britain is not prepared to be pushed around. We have ceased to be a nation in retreat, end quote. Indeed, it seemed that Thatcher's leadership had stopped 30 years of rapid decline. Yet Isaiah 3 warns that the more America and Britain sin, the more strong male leadership will be removed. This lack of leadership was apparent since the end of World War II. Verse 12 prophesies that as male leadership is removed, women would assume the leadership positions both in the family and on a national scale. This is the opposite of what the Bible teaches on government, and it ultimately contributes to national decline. Sometimes God will use strong female leadership to condemn weak male leaders and move Bible prophecy forward. An example of this is Deborah in Judges 4. Barak and the other men of Israel would not go to battle unless Deborah was with them. Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry writes in the former prophet's book, quote, the only reason God was using this great woman, Deborah, was that there were no men strong enough to lead. End quote. This is exactly what happened in 1982. Only Margaret Thatcher had the strength of character to still have pride in Britain's power, and there was enough strong leadership in the military to succeed operationally. The Falklands War was the last time Britain displayed pride in its power and the will to fight for the birthright blessings. Soon afterward, Britain continued its decline as a world power. The success did not motivate people to cease from sin or ask why the British Empire dissolved in their lifetimes. Even Thatcher's strong leadership and belief in Britain could not stop the curses from dissolving away the few remaining vestiges of the empire. Immediately after the victory of the Falklands War, the only real solution to all of Britain's problems presented itself to Margaret Thatcher. In July 1982, Prime Minister Thatcher met with Herbert W. Armstrong in London for a 30-minute meeting. Thatcher was determined to change the course of Britain and stop the societal and international collapse. Here was the golden opportunity of her life. Before her was the man who wrote The United States and Britain in Prophecy in 1927 and who could explain the biblical cause and effect of all the problems ailing Britain. It was a meeting of biblical proportions, just like the kings of Israel meeting with God's prophets. To understand the biblical reason for all the curses and terrible events happening in America and the British Commonwealth today, please read the United States and Britain in Prophecy for yourself. This book will explain how you can escape the curses and find real hope. Thank you.
This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. If you are sedentary, time is not on your side. After the age of 40, you're losing 5 to 10% of your muscle every decade unless you exercise regularly. So what sort of exercise are you doing? You might think you have to buy a weight set or expensive equipment. That is not the case. Today, we're going to talk about the benefits of body weight exercise. To talk about this, we have via Skype from his office in British Columbia, holistic nutritionist and personal trainer, Jorg Mardian. Hello there. Hello there. Body weight exercise. Tell us what we're talking about, maybe give us some examples of what you mean. So body weight uh, training is, is very underrated. Um, a lot of people say you don't really get the results from it like you do from strength training. And uh, that's just a myth. So body weight training is really built on two foundations, um, calisthenics and plyometrics. Uh, calisthenics are exercises where you use gravity to create uh, resistance exercises, based exercises, and uh, these include exercises like burpees or push-ups or pull-ups, um, planking. Mm-hmm. So just gravity letting it do its work. Whereas with plyometrics, on the other hand, those are more like a, a explosive movements where you use bursts of speed for power. And that would include stuff like um, squat jumps or um, kicks or even variations of calisthenic exercises like push-ups and burpees where you put a jump into it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, if you put the two together, it just becomes sort of this this monster routine where you it's sweat-induced and you can build muscle and burn a lot of body fat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think... There's so many exercises out there. Um, it, it's just incredible. What um, I can give a few exercises today, which I think, you know, let's say you put a routine together. You only need about six or seven exercises. Mm-hmm. And then you do, it's how you do them, though, right? Most people don't understand how to get the results from this. Let's take a simple push-up. Uh, push-up, you just get in a plank position, lower yourself down to where you're comfortable. If you can get down to within a couple inches on the ground, that's great. And then push back up. Sounds simple. Mm-hmm. Right. But you need a, a good degree of upper body strength. If you don't have that, you can do it on the knees. And I've had people that can't do it on the knees. So you you can uh, make an incline standing on a counter. Right. You're just looking for uh, to put that pressure on the chest to get the muscles to contract, right? Uh, squats, standing squats. You just stand with your feet about shoulder width apart. I usually like to put the feet outwards of clients because that's less stress on the knees. Just a little bit turned outwards. You hinge your hips backwards. Um, you just kind of put your butt back, put your thighs parallel to the ground, you know, and then come back up. Uh, but even that is hard for some people if they haven't done it, you know. So you might want to hang on to the back of a chair doing it and I'd take some stress off the knees or a counter. Or you could sit into a chair and then stand back up. And that really is good too because you work the hips a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really good for elderly people. Um, I love prone back extensions where you lie on the ground and you take a towel and you're laying outstretched and you put a towel in your hand and then uh, a roll towel. 
And as you, you pull the towel back towards your chest and then you arch your feet up and contract your lower back and then you push that towel out again, right? Nice and slow. Like a, and like a, a bench press type of uh, movement. Right, but you're pushing it away from your shoulders. Yeah. So you're lying on your stomach, right? And then you're pulling it back towards your chest and you arch your back and then you can even lift your feet. And uh, it's, it's just a wonderful core lower back exercise if it's done slowly. Yeah. Um, lunges are another staple I have every client do. You step forward, two-part movement, you step forward with one leg, you drop the knee of the other leg down and then come back up and then you do it for the other leg, keeping your body nice and straight. Uh, and again, you can hang on to something, you know, um, hang on to a chair or hang on to a counter for balance. Don't let balance dissuade you from an exercise. You know, many, many people have a lack of balance and they say, I can't do the exercise. Hang on to something. Yep. The muscle will take care of the balance in time. You know, and as you get used to the movement. Um, now, would well, you uh, would you be willing to uh, just put together a little video that we could link to for, for people to uh, to see the exercises that you're describing? Each exercise that I'm describing today has a video of the exercise and modifications. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll make sure because I, I, I think uh, for someone who's familiar with the movements that you're describing, um, you know, they 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 have a clear picture in their minds. Other other people might be listening and thinking uh, maybe radio isn't the best the best medium to uh, to be receiving this information. But um, but really, essentially, what you're saying is there's no uh, there should be no barrier equipment, a lack of equipment shouldn't be a barrier to you getting, uh, being able to move and to, uh, to give your body the resistance that it needs to be able to maintain and even build strength. Absolutely right. You know, we just, and again, when the ear receives what we're talking about and you might not paint a picture. So those videos are important. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I made sure to link to those. And basically what I'm saying is there's so many exercises out there. We just give a few examples. You know, the next question would be then, uh, how do I put something together? If you've never done this, you wouldn't know, you know. Um, you could take a movement. Well, again, the names might not mean much, but you could take a combination of plyometric and calisthenic exercises together and you'd get fantastic results. Um, even if you punch it into a search bar, body weight training, you're going to get a lot of pictures come up on Google. That's a good way to get those exercises. Mm -hmm. um, and you can even go and get videos on those. It's just that simply. I read a great book, though. It's called Body Weight Strength Training Anatomy. It was written by uh, Brett Contreras. Contreras uh, and, and it really details how body weight training maximizes your strength and your fitness and your wellness without any weights. Mm -hmm. uh, just wonderful pictures in it. So if somebody just doesn't have any idea where to start, I mean, it's very, very detailed, beautifully written book. And, and again, like I said, a lot of critics are going to say body weight training doesn't really work. And, and I, I don't like that because it's not true. In you know, whether weights or body weight are used, it's whether it's done in a controlled manner. So, because your neuromuscular system is going to be impacted and it's going to respond by how you do the exercise. So 
How do we do that? Well, you can do more volume, you know, more sets. Mm -hmm. You can do uh, more frequency of the exercises themselves. Uh, there's what's called continuous tension where you slowly do mm -hmm. each repetition up and down. And if you've ever done a push-up in a slow manner, you'll know exactly what I mean. Right. It's not easy. Um, or you could do supersets where you put exercises back to back with very little rest, you see. So you can change up those variables and that body weight training becomes extremely hard. Yep. And uh, there are people out there who do nothing but uh, body weight training. And I'm, I'm telling you, they have built themselves up to a high degree. They, I even saw a video of a fella that was 65 years old. And you wouldn't know it if you didn't see him from the head up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh, some years ago, I, I got a book about uh, gymnastics. And uh, it was actually the, the cover of the book was a, a man, a man's torso with no shirt. And you just saw this completely ripped uh, body, and and uh, and then it showed the whole picture on the inside, and it was a it was a gymnast. And the point that the the author was making is that you look at the gymnast, you look at Olympic gymnasts, and they don't use weight. They're in. I mean, it's all completely body weight exercises. This guy talked about the fact that he brought some of the gymnasts that he was training into a gym. And they're deadlifting for the first time in their lives, and they're deadlifting two to three times their body weight the very first time they pick up a barbell because of strength that they've built through gymnastics movements, static holds, things that it's all body weight, but it's like he talked about just how much you can continue to challenge yourself by increasing the difficulty level of of uh, some of the exercises that you're doing and they they tend to do more of the the planches and the levers and and those types of things that are you know highly highly intense gymnastics movements but just to underscore the point that there's never a time when pure body weight would be too simple if you're if you're doing a challenging enough variation uh, that's exactly correct um, they're a great example of continuous tension, very slow repetition, sometimes fast, but a lot of slow repetitions. Now, the reader or the, sorry, our listeners might say, well, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to do those type of sure. exercises. And that, that's that's a fair assumption. So you could take, say, six uh, exercises. And a good way to advance with that is you start with 10 repetitions each, Right. And you repeat it for as many rounds as possible in a given time. So you take 30 to 45 minutes. You can even take 20 minutes to start. It doesn't matter. You, you set goals. Um, and then you can make up different routines with a variety of exercises like that. And you can even advance those by just adding one to two repetitions a week onto each exercise. Mm -hmm. You see? So... And now you make it harder by by putting different methods into it, like very slow or, or uh, doing the repetitions without a lot of breaks in between. I mean, y you said it. You can make it as hard as you want or as easy. What are some of the, the, the health benefits uh, that come from, say, body weight specifically versus other, other forms of uh, exercise? Right. Yeah. And, and here's the the spectacular results of this that people don't really understand. You know, there, I looked into um, what's called the Journal of Aging and Health, and it showed that really when we look at seniors, 
you can multiply those results for young people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. If it works for seniors, young people are going to explode with this. Yeah. But seniors, you know, their strength, overall strength increased by 113% just training twice like this a week. Aye, aye, aye. I mean, that's significant. And the gait velocity and the stair climbing ability um, also after 16 weeks was, was phenomenally increased. But the other part of this that's really exciting to me is that it's a natural antidote to, to many um, detrimental bodily conditions. So uh, cardiac death, you know, there's a reduction of 41%. Mm. I mean, that's, that's huge. What else? What can you take that mm-hmm. reduces cardiac death by 41%? What pill is there? Right. And the odds of dying from cancer, horrendous disease, 19% significant you know and overall death i mean from any cause uh it's it's 46 percent reduction wow i mean you can't get any more exciting results than this if this doesn't make you want to pick up some or just get yourself in your living room and start you know sweating away a little bit <laughs> i don't know what will yeah well let you know. me uh let me kind of uh speak to the the trainer in you uh, who dealing with clients as you're, they're coming into to your office and your studio and, and uh, they're saying, you know, this is what I want. Um, you're dealing with a lot of different excuses and, and, uh, and say obstacles in people's way to actually implementing this. What are the means by which you help people to overcome some of those, those common obstacles? Well, lack of discipline is, is the primary one. How do, how do I get myself motivated? And, and motivation is just really a feeling itself, right? You want to do something, but you still have to do it. There has to be an action. And, you know, fortunately in this type of workout, it inc- includes a great set of motivators, you know, where you can compete against yourself. You can right. learn a whole slew of new exercises. You can see consistent returns, you can have a fantastic sense of accomplishment. And like I said, look at the reduction in, in, in uh, diseases and bodily conditions. I mean, how much more motivation do we need? What do we need to offer and put on a plate? I ask my clients, I say, what more do you want? I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll give you more because there's more out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's shoulder injuries, knee injuries. Yep. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about bodyweight training is that it's an effective option for rehabilitation. It's just built in because what you're doing is you're making the body far more resilient by stabilizing the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments. And that's what we call bulletproofing those injuries. And that's different than strength training where you can leave behind the tendons and ligaments and they can stay weak where the muscles get strong. In bodyweight training, the entire chassis strengthens. Hmm. So that's a difference. So you really quickly get around injuries. Um, lack of strength, you know, we can modify any exercise. And, and those videos that we're going to include with the article, they'll show you that, you know. Um, just hang on to something, look at the video, have an example, and try it. It doesn't matter what injury you have, you can work your way around it. It doesn't matter what where you start with in, in, in fitness, you can do these exercises. 
And then I think as a last question, you know, how fast are the results? That's the one I always get asked. Well, generally three days a week is great, is a great start to spend on fitness because it's frequent enough to see a good return Mm -hmm. versus your time invested. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get more mobile, you're going to get strength and mobility. And the great thing is you're not leaving your home, you're doing it in your living room. So, I mean, it's right there for you. If you've got 15 minutes, do 15. If you've got 30, do 30. Just hit it, get it done and then go to work. Do it in the morning or do it at night. Yeah. Outstanding. And even uh, when you when you don't have the equipment needs, you can do that even if you're traveling, you're in a hotel room. Uh, there's, always, uh, there's, there's always a way to, to get it done. Well, we've been talking with personal trainer and holistic nutritionist York Martin about the benefits of body weight exercise. Uh, We'll link to those videos uh, in the show notes for the program. Take a look at that and watch for the article that uh, Jorg is writing on this subject at thetrumpet.com. Thank you again, Jorg. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Celtic Throne has been touring around the United States over the past three weeks. This past Monday, we were in Nashville, Tennessee, preparing for our show at the Ryman Auditorium. And I sat down with a group of the dancers to talk about their experiences on this tour. Here is our conversation. So, here we are in uh, Nashville. This is pretty exciting being at the Ryman. I appreciate you guys uh, taking a little bit of time out of you. It's hard to find time in the middle of this schedule to uh, just sit down and have a conversation here. But uh, a lot of our listeners have been following our movements as we've been going around or even come to a show. We've had quite a few people who are fans of trumpet radio that have come to the shows. But most of the people coming to these shows don't have any knowledge of the trumpet or the church or anything else that we're associated with. Uh, you're going out after shows, you're interacting with these people. Mr. Stephen Flurry, he's been playing some of the responses from people to uh, uh, David V. Hill, asking them questions. Uh, what's your sense about how people are responding or uh, what are some of the interesting interactions that you've had with people after the shows? Well, the most uh, common question I get is, are you guys from Ireland? To which they're astonished that we're, we're pretty much all from Oklahoma besides a couple. But they, they love the fact that the show's pretty much built around uh, a group of families or people that have grown up together their entire lives. So they really appreciate uh, the, the intimacy of the, the cast we have here. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they find that positive environment really impactful. That that definitely comes across in the show, not only in the sense that we announce it explicitly and say, you know, this is my cousin and this is my other cousin and this is my other cousin, but but you can see that. You can see the kind of familial uh, enthusiasm and, and connection with the people. You guys do a good job of conveying that while you're out there. Any other interesting interactions that you've had? Um, well, I had one uh, older couple ask me, you know, why do you do it? And I thought that really showed that they were thinking about the show and thinking about more than just what they saw on stage. And so then when they asked me that question, I was a little bit scared because I was like, well, why do we do it? What is the purpose? <laughs> but uh, I, I said that um, 
Well, the world's broken, and we convey family through our show, and it really gives the world hope. So I think that's a really important um, important thing is that people want to know why we do it, and mm-hmm. there shows that they're thinking about it, and they're thinking about more than just the lights, more than just the smiling faces on the stage. So what are some lessons that you've taken from being involved in this there there's there's a lot going into the, a lot of work that that uh, has to happen a lot of things that have to come together from your perspective seeing all of this uh, come together and participating in it what, what are some lessons that you've taken from it i would say the biggest thing i've learned is just the cumulative effect of little changes is astounding sometimes um you can take a piece in a number that that looks terrible and you change one little thing and then you change another little thing and you just keep doing that over and over and over again and eventually it looks like a completely different piece or completely different choreography when it's it's the same thing just dressed up a little different uh and i've you know looked at ways to apply that in my life just changing one little thing at a time and yeah if you just if you just keep those little changes rolling through consistently it really does make a huge difference I, I could see where that even applies broadly when you think about the the uh, the way that the show came together. Obviously, there was a lot of work that went into just getting the thing up and running at the very beginning. Uh, but it's kind of amazing how it's evolved piece by piece. We've added a number here. We've changed a little bit here and there. And uh, and the the effect just continues to get better because of those some of those little changes. That's a that that's a really cool lesson to take from it. Anyway, any other lessons? Uh, also, just the fact that we're in a team setting, so your individual actions or and your reactions to things or your attitudes to things, it doesn't just affect you; it affects everyone you're working with. Um, so that's just a huge part of it as well. Like it's not just about you. You have to think about how much you're feeding into the bigger picture as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good teamwork uh, taking place in this in this production. Any other lessons you guys have taken? Uh, I've learned that it's not necessarily practice that makes perfect, but perfect practice that makes perfect. Because ah. we, yeah, we have to go through all the numbers every show day uh, just to make sure they're still intact. Um, but if you're if you're just trying to save yourself for the performance so you don't run out of energy and you're not really mentally engaged as well, then um, your your performance for the real show in front of hundreds of people isn't going to be that effective. You have to be uh, urgent as you practice, whether whether you're, you're physically going 100% or not. You just have to be fully engaged the whole time. It it does take a whole lot of work to to really perform at the very highest level, and it is interesting if you're if you're kind of going at it half heartedly uh, in the in the rehearsals. That's definitely going to transfer over. I'm I'm always amazed at how much effort is being expended on that on that stage, especially if you see dancers coming off the stage uh, during the breaks, and they're just huffing and puffing and in many cases actually just falling flat on the floor <laughs> and just hanging out there for a while to try to recuperate a little bit uh that is pretty extraordinary but you do have to do it in the rehearsals as well uh, well what have you guys thought about the the street shows that we've been doing this is a really kind of different experience it's very different than being up on the stage all the lights and all of that there yesterday we were actually just out on the street, we went to a restaurant and we're dancing for people in the restaurant, whether they liked it or not. Uh, 
you guys have any uh, any insights into to what that's been like? Uh, yesterday, Mr. McDonald gave us the goal to just sell one more ticket. And I feel like all of us really took that to heart. And I yes. feel like it just added this different energy to the street performances. Personally, I struggle with it because it is just so intimate. And I, I just struggle with that anyways. But yesterday, it just felt like everyone was able to give so much of their personalities just to make it seem like, like the fun show that it is. And everyone just really gave it their all, which was really special. Uh, I think it's a big challenge, especially with you know, my personality, I'm more introverted, but street performance, you have to have like zero fear of just interacting with and, and, uh, making a connection with complete strangers. And, uh, that's been a really great growth opportunity for me. Um, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at it, um, over the past whatever year that we've been, uh, doing street shows. And yeah, it just, it really has taught me that like, no matter what you're doing, if you just are really, really confident in doing it, which can only come if you're if you're skilled and you're practiced and all of that. But but if you're just really confident and well, you own it, there's a lot it, of people who are confident. And they oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you've practiced and yeah. and you you're confident because you've practiced, uh, that really is a gift to the audience because uh, no one likes watching someone who isn't confident. I I have seen a lot of growth in the confidence of everybody in the show over the time that we've been doing it and in in a really good way i think like mr mcdonald talks about the fact that you you need to be a real performer while you're up on the stage and then have a lot of humility when you're off the stage this isn't about just like becoming uh vain or arrogant or anything like that but like giving having the confidence that you're really giving something special to people and there is something about the street performances that kind of increases that in a very real way uh what what where have you guys seen uh things happen where you can just tell god is blessing it that god is behind the show because there's a we we talk about that quite a lot we pray before the shows and you know we're really just looking to get him involved where have you seen that well just talking about the street shows um i mean yesterday we were outside for almost almost five hours yesterday three four hours and uh the on on the friday we had been out in front of the grand old opry and it was just absolutely boiling over 100 degrees and it was really painful to dance because it was just so hot but uh we prayed about that before uh yesterday when we went out and then we prayed over it over the weekend and yesterday we had some really really nice cloud cover i mean it was still hot but god i feel like really intervened there and helped us to be able to get through that whole day of um, promotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the last show we were in Edmond. Mr. McDonald was just talking about how we needed to be kind of prepared to answer more questions about what the show is and kind of explain to people a little bit more about who we are. And I think you were actually there, Jude, as well. But there is a family who just started talking to us specifically about those things. And it just felt kind of awesome to know that we had just talked about it and prayed about it right before the show and then instantly like that was an interaction I had where all of those things actually happened and those questions were asked so that was pretty neat. I think it's really inspiring when people from the audience are involved with the church in some way for example there was a lady who had said she had been involved with the literature and watching the key of David for over 20 years and she was so excited to meet individual members of the cast who she knew and I think it's 
really rewarding when you realize you're performing for people who have been involved with the church, but they're seeing things from a whole different light with our show. Okay, so this is from last year, actually, but um, actually last year I was at the Ryman. Um, I tore a muscle or I I had some pretty severe injury um, in the middle of the second half. And I was able to finish the show because when you're you're jacked up on adrenaline like that, like you don't feel a whole lot. But I knew it was going to be bad whenever I cooled down and, and didn't have that anymore. And it was bad. It was it was hard to walk by the time the show was finished. Uh, but uh, we prayed about it. I got anointed, and you know, two or three days later, it was like nothing had happened. And I know from experience, I've had many strained muscles and many pulled muscles before, and those do not heal that fast naturally that that was uh, a miracle god just took that right out of the way so that we could continue the tour because actually um i was told that if it didn't get better we would just have to cancel the next shows and i knew that that's not what god wanted so we were just praying a lot that that it would get better and it did very cool so are there other things about being involved in something like this that you have found personally rewarding or even inspiring seeing the other dancers and how hard they're working or things that have come together and just really, um, really just inspired you? The main thing that's super rewarding for me is when you go out to the audience and you see them afterwards, the younger kids who come over to you and they're either somehow involved with dance or they want to become a dancer after seeing the show. I take that really personally because... When I first watched the Jeremiah musical when I was eight years old, that's the whole reason why I wanted to start Irish dancing. So when I see kids that were in my shoes once, I think it's really inspiring how they get a new motivation to be a dancer the way that we are. I think it's inspiring how much we're able to do with what we have. Like we are not professional dancers. We're not river dance. We've seen those shows and, and we know what that standard is like and it's it's daunting to try to, to live up to that and to compete with shows like that. But I'm just always inspired by, you know, we're not river dance, but by how close we come um, with what we have. Like we have dancers in here that have not competed before mm -hmm. and uh, let alone, you know, won a world title or, or anything. Mm -hmm. So, but we've created a show and, and it's not professional the way that Riverdance is, but uh, people love it and it really does impact people. And they know that we're, we're younger and that we're not professional dancers, but I'm just amazed at what we're able to do with the level of dancers that we had just in our community in Edmond. Um, well, I was really inspired this year um, because someone asked me, you know, uh, if we had a newsletter or we had literature um, from our church and we had always talked about Celtic Throne being a part of the First Commission work. And last year, I didn't really understand that. I mean, I knew that the show, we were giving the audience, you know, hope through our show by family. But I didn't understand that part of it. Um, but this year was really made clear when someone asked me about the trumpet and someone asked me about if, you know, we had literature and things like that. Hmm. Yeah, after, I believe it was our, our second show in Edmond, Oklahoma, this year, um, I just... A lady came up to me and she said, well, thank you for the show. We really enjoyed it. But uh, before she left, she said, uh, seeing you guys really gives me faith in our future. And that just made me realize, like, that solidifies the reason we do Celtic Throne, to give people hope. Uh, the state of America right now is pretty rough. So we, we try to get out there, give people something to look forward to. So just hearing her say that uh, really inspired me and hopefully 
like what we're doing inspires people like her to think that. Very good. We appreciate you guys uh, contributing. We've been talking with several dancers from Celtic Throne. Four shows left. We've got Branson, Missouri this Thursday, June 30th, and Tulsa on July 6th and 7th, and then the finale in Edmond, Oklahoma on Sunday, July 10th. And we would love to see you at a show. Come check it out. And that last show will be live streamed, so you can watch that online. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great show tonight. It's time for today's Last Word. I've learned an important lesson on this Celtic Throne Tour that I want to share with you. After each show, we talk quite a lot about how to improve it. And one night... The whole crew watched the 25th anniversary performance of Riverdance. And this was very eye-opening. First of all, the, the people involved in that show keep improving it. This is several versions from the first show that was 25 years ago. And Irish dancing has come a long way. These dancers are working harder than ever. And these people really are working their very hardest for perfection. So watching that video really helped to see something like a perfect standard for Irish dance. And then we looked at just a small amount of video of our own dancing, and it was it was clear watching that we could be doing more to strive for a higher standard. And it's really helpful to have a perfect standard to compare yourself to. Otherwise, you can think you're doing awesome when really you have a long way toward actually becoming perfect. Well, after we did that, we had a show the very next night, and you could just see all of the dancers in the in the show really stepped it up uh, to, to try to be more attentive to all the details. They worked really hard to, to get everything as perfect as they possibly could. And just from that one incident, there was far better dancing. It was a much better show because of, uh, of what they had seen there. Now, this is a crucial lesson that applies beautifully to a lot of things in our life, things that are much harder to see than whether a dancer has good turnout or pointed toes. In Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus Christ said, Become you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. God has the very highest standards. He is a perfectionist. And he never lowers the standard. He challenges us to rise to his level. It's only when you're pursuing perfection that you can really come to think like God. God is perfect and he wants us to become more and more like him, always striving for perfection. Now, you really have to push yourself to, to try to do that. You know, after each of these shows, we're looking for things that we can tweak. And if we didn't focus on those things that we need to practice and we need to improve and things that we can do to make the show better, what naturally tends to happen is that things get worse. Things degenerate. And that's because that's that's just the way that we naturally tend to behave. Human nature is lazy. Human nature gets complacent. Human nature tends to slack off. And you see people everywhere that have an attitude of just doing the minimum, just scraping by. You see that with students in school, with people on their jobs. 
And it's a mistake to do that. That's not the approach that God wants us to take toward anything in our lives. He wants us to strive for perfection. Become you therefore perfect, Christ said. That's certainly true spiritually, but really it's a mindset we need to cultivate in everything we do. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Don't be half-hearted. Don't just squeak by with the minimum. Go all in. Do it to the best of your ability. Seek perfection. Herbert W. Armstrong often said that if you're not growing, you're going backward. It's really one or the other. And I think you can see that with something like a dance show. Uh, Brad McDonald, who's one of the directors of the show, he said our goal is to actually get better with each show. Because if we're not getting better, then we're going to get worse. I've read uh, a book by a man named Jeffrey, Jeffrey Fox, and he says this, Mediocrity is an insidious disease that saps the vitality, innovation, and energy of any organization. Once mediocrity infects an organization, it is extremely difficult to cure. Mediocrity becomes the performance standard. It becomes acceptable. Mediocrity, if allowed, if accepted, if rewarded, if unpunished, infects even the best people. Now, it's interesting because you, you look at God's church in this end time, in this Laodicean era, 95% of God's people got casual about their calling. They let their love wax cold. They got complacent about God's truth. They got lukewarm about it, and they didn't love it, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2. And so, they allowed the truth to be cast to the ground. That's the way human nature is. It infects even the best people, and we're all prone to that lukewarmness. It's something we really have to fight. Lukewarmness is an insidious disease that saps our spiritual vitality and energy. We can't afford to settle for mediocre. We have to strive for spiritual perfection. Now, the challenge is that's really hard. Holding yourself to a perfect standard every single time, it's really hard. You, we, we might try it for a bit, but then there's a point where we just want to take it easy. And it's, it's just something about our human nature that we must fight. The ones who are the very best in the world at what they do, they hold themselves to that perfect standard over and over and over. You know, watching that, that river dance performance and seeing these top-level professional dancers aiming for and really attaining a remarkable level of perfection is a very helpful thing to do. If you're an Irish dancer, you, you need to have a perfect standard to compare yourself to. Otherwise, again, you can think, well, hey, I'm doing great when you're way off the mark. Gerald Flurry wrote in his Ezra Nehemiah booklet, human nature always tends to degenerate toward catastrophe or disaster. The solution to this problem is always to get back to the law of God. To get back to the law of God. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, the law of the eternal is perfect, converting the soul. There is our perfect standard. And if you don't get back to that, then you can feel like you're a pretty good person. If you're, if you're not comparing yourself to God himself, 
and his perfect law, then you think you're doing awesome when really you're way off. And that's happening in this world all over the place. People are not using God's standard, they're using their own standards. So they, they think they're doing great. But God's law is perfect and it converts the soul. You hold yourself to that standard and it will change you, it will convert you. Verse 8 in Psalm 19 says, The commandment of the eternal is pure, enlightening the eyes. It opens your eyes to see where you're off track. The Apostle James compares it to a mirror. You know, you look in that mirror, you look into the law of God, and you can see what's wrong. You can see what needs to be fixed. How many areas in your life are you accepting mediocrity rather than really seeking perfect obedience to the law of God. Verse 12 in Psalm 19 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse you me from secret faults. We have to ask God to show us where we're off. We can't see it ourselves. Human nature wants to think highly of itself. We don't like someone telling us that what we're doing isn't good enough. We just want people to say that we're great. How often do you pray that God would show you where you're imperfect. We all need to be doing that. We need more correction than we're willing to admit. If you push yourself and strive for the highest standard you're capable of, you're going to start to realize you, you're capable of more than you think, and in many cases, a lot more. Set a goal in one area and achieve that, and you start to prove something. You start to grow in the right kind of confidence, and that success breeds more success. You become more motivated to keep scoring more successes. In Luke 16, it says that if you learn how to be faithful in the little things, then you're proving to God and to yourself and to your boss and to other people that you can handle greater responsibility, that you will be faithful in the bigger things. So keep fighting complacency in your life. Fight mediocrity and settling for half effort. Keep the perfect standard in your sights always. Never stop striving for perfection. Become you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Abraham Blondeau, York Mardian, and the Celtic Throne Dancers. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Robert Bro: The more side roads you stop to explore, the less likely that life will pass you by. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world.
listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world. 